Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're still at ProgNet in London, England. Mm-hmm. In the UK. Many pubs. Many, many, many pubs. pubs. Too many pubs. So many Too pubs. little time. So <laughs> many pubs, not enough subs. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing we haven't talked about mm-hmm. is the giant fatberg. Oh, geez. Yeah. Should we even talk about this disgusting know. thing? It's kind of it's been a, in the news here because yeah. it's a basically a huge sewer clog. Well, it's coming out a few weeks later, but yeah, yeah it, the Victorian era sewers have issues with accumulating fat and debris to the point where you end up with a, what do you say, it was a football field long? Two football field long. So three, 200 yard, four yard tall block of goo. Yeah. And they're going to spend weeks breaking it down with high pressure water and vacuums to yeah. get it out of there. It's kind of like the old days when we didn't have sewers. Yeah. This is the price of old infrastructure yeah that? well i have something fun for better know framework that you guys know about but i don't think our listeners do oh so let's roll the crazy music all right not to give it away or anything but what do you got <laughs> <laughs> i think i might have talked about it but i can't remember if i actually shared the video i but don't think so so here's the story richard turned 50 as did i this mm-hmm. year you know, that's all right. You can wait, but you're the kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're the young ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, anyway, so Richard's birthday party was first. I couldn't make it to his. He couldn't make it to mine, but I felt really bad about missing it because it was an epic birthday party and saw the pictures. It was all great. But what I did was I decided to get the band together and record a little happy birthday song. As you do. Yeah. So we had a rehearsal, you know, and I said, set up the cameras and stuff and i told the guys we had we have done this new orleans style happy birthday for other people in the past you know so it was no big deal we knew the tune and we had a chart and everything here i thought you were writing something special now the truth comes but it does have that louisiana feel for sure yeah it certainly does so i said i made this video and i sent it to stacy who showed it at uh, at your party Mm -hmm. and the party was a roast Yes, yeah. And wisely, they had organized it so that the sort of local friends and family who would need to go on stage went first Mm. before the professional speakers got up and and really, and Tim Huckabee, by the way, 
epic roast. Oh boy, I bet. <laughs> but though you know who nobody wants to follow that actually closed the roast? Mark and Karen. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. They did this completely insane. It looked improv, but I'm sure they'd planned it. Yeah. Comedy bit that was just like madness all around. That's great. And then as that ended, Stacy called out you had a video thing and, and right. fired that up mm. and transitioned that directly into dancing. Wow. So your song was basically the kickoff song that got everybody on the floor. The DJ just picked it up from there. Wow, that's so cool. So it worked really well. That's excellent. So I'm sharing the video with all of you. There's only 36 views on it as of now. Let's see how many views we can get. And you can go to 1481.pwop.me and that'll take you to YouTube where you can watch it. Awesome. Yeah. And just so you know, there is an F-bomb right in the middle of it. Or <laughs> <laughs> the beginning. Oh, so. Right. Well, you know, if you've got kids, yeah. and just be aware there's an F-bomb. Actually, it's kind of at the beginning. It's at the beginning. Yeah, it's yeah. Right at the beginning. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I got. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1383, which we did back in December of 2016 with one Julie Lerman mm-hmm. talking about Entity Framework Core back in the early days of Entity Framework Core, you know, months and months ago. Yeah. And this comment comes from Philip Takami. Maybe I mispronounced your name, but I apologize for that, Philip. Where he says, another great show on a topic that I really care about. I also read one of Julie's books on Entity Framework a few years back, and not only did I achieve a level of understanding teaching me how to use Entity Framework, but it also taught me how to work in various circumstances and different program structures. Yeah. That's so nice to hear. So thanks for all of that. Thank you. Yeah. Since... Then, we've been back to supporting Microsoft Access. So, he read my book and said, now forget any framework, we're going back to Access. (laughs) (laughs) And then they had to write their own ORM just because Entity Framework doesn't support Access. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. My goodness. Yep. One question I have inspired by Julie's example is when to use value objects. Hmm. The example is that a customer's address changes after an order was fulfilled so that the customer's address should be stored in addition as a value on the orbit table instead of having to relate that back to the address table. Well, of course, there might be numerous ways to solve this, and some DBAs might argue. Ah, pff. sorry, just kidding, DBAs. DBAs, never <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. What came to mind was using a temporal database design where one could keep track of a history and could go back in time and have a readable view of the past. Hmm. Temporal is a feature described in SQL Server Standard 2011, and it's supported by SQL Server up to 2016. So my question is, can you think of anything inherent to Entity Framework Core 6 that might keep it from being supported in the future? I don't know anything about temporal tables. Yeah, temporal data store. And Entity Framework probably doesn't either. But with that example of the address, what are we talking about? Like when the order gets shipped once right it's not going to get shipped multiple times mm-hmm. and wh- how what's the address street street city state zip yeah like how just store it in the store it in the table with the rest of the order information store it with the order because it's actually mm. part of the order in that context mm-hmm. and in earlier times when we really worried about storage space yeah. and disk space normalizing data made a lot of sense mm-hmm but in a in a case like this, it makes life so much easier to just have that address stored with the data. Yeah. And and we don't have to worry about storage. I also space. think it's accurate. When you talk about the That's the reality, order. That's the order. Right. Exactly. Right. Everything related to that order, including the address, needs to be in the order. I mean, you know, the only thing I could see is if you're if you're on a website or for example, you place another order and you want to send it to one of your existing addresses. Sure. You actually can have a table of addresses. You can relate the addresses to the person. You can even 
relate that address to the order sure. and mm. say this is where it came from, mm. right? Or say you have logic that's like, you know, what was the address of the most recent order? Mm-hmm. So you go and you query the most recent order mm. and you extract that value object which mm. is a set of values, and then you send that set of values to the new order mm-hmm. and put them in there. Mm. So that's a couple of ways to sure. yeah. to do that. But I I wouldn't overthink it. No. Yeah. And and go that other. It's path. also where you see stuff like Mongo and document stores and so forth saying, "I'm just going to store the object as an object yeah. over here," and then in that object at some point we picked up by a relational database and decomposed because I do mm. want to do analysis and querying on that data separately. Yeah. But it's two different things. So right. you can do and that. And the in API a understands sure. it kind of as a relationship. The data store doesn't understand that those handful of values that make up the address are kind of a separate class. Right. Mm. Right? It's just here's some values. It's just what the API is that you're mm. using yeah. when you're pulling that back into your software. And the API and, and entity framework understands that yeah. entity framework understands. I'll, I'll say value objects, like w- how we set up value objects, the part of it that is a type entity framework understands how to persist. So no, we cannot answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no, a, it's a, it's a, a subject. Well, I thought I answered it. You know, yeah, that's yeah. why it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me. I guess it's just funny. But yeah, the, I mean, and I'm totally with you. It's like, Storage capacity is not the consideration here. Yeah. Right. But those are old habits. They are. And so, and normalization is about storage in a lot of respects. They may be old habits. Even if you're a newer programmer, mm-hmm. those old habits have been, can Very be cool. taught yes. by other people. They're, they're in the manuals. They're in the books. They're, they're in the DNA. There, and they're in the instructors. And so, hey, yeah, I'm older than you guys and I But so much better looking. But did you have a band play Happy Birthday to You no. in a New Orleans style? No, nor. At your 50th? No, uh, my 50th. Yeah, my 50th. I Let me see if I can remember all the way back <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> You're not that much older than us. No, I had a party at my house. Mm-hmm. I made my own cake because I wanted to make sure my cake was chocolate with chocolate icing. And I wrote on the top of the cake, the big five O-M-F-G. Nice. <laughs> so, Philip, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We use them as spice for our jambalaya. The <laughs> <laughs> Louisiana angle yeah, there. That's, that's what right. that is. Yeah. Yeah. With maple syrup for Julie's sake. And let's introduce Julie again, probably for the 50th time on .NET Rocks, but, but that's a good thing. Julie Lerman is a Microsoft Regional Director and a longtime Microsoft MVP. She makes her living as a mentor and consultant to software teams around the world. You can find her presenting on entity framework, domain-driven design, and other topics at user groups and conferences around the world. Julie blogs at thedatafarm.com slash blog. She's also the author of the highly acclaimed Programming Entity Framework series of books, the MSDN Magazine Data Points column, and popular videos on Pluralsight Follow Julie on Twitter at Julie Lerman. That's a mouthful. Episode 14. I believe you get a free mug or something at this point. (laughs) This is the 14th show. Going all the way back to 2004. Wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've been friends a long time. We have. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so I thought you guys were young. <laughs> like, remember, like, that, what, you're 30-something? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah, Not anymore. It's true. So, where do we start with Entity Framework Core? 
pretty amazing to think that there's a .NET Core version of Entity Framework. Knowing the history of Entity Framework and where it came out of and all the open source backlash in the beginning and all the maturity that went into the product along the way, and now it's going to run in Linux. Mm-hmm. Gonna does. Yeah. I actually did finally spun up a Linux virtual machine and did some work the other day in it just to just to see. Of course, it, it yeah, setting up the Linux machine was a little bit of a challenge for me, just mm. just because it was so new. You know, I understand I didn't want a server, I wanted a UI. Right, yeah. Mostly, you know, I'm back and forth between Windows and Mac OS. Right. And back and forth between Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, mm-hmm. which is really fun and lightweight. But there's already the next version of Entity Framework Core out, which is Entity Framework Core 2.0. Hmm. And speaking of the value objects, mm-hmm. Entity Framework, the value objects were supported in Entity Framework since the beginning because mm-hmm. they had something called complex types. So complex types was able to work out the mappings for anything that you'd set up as a value object. They didn't have that support the first iteration of EF Core. So EF Core 1 didn't have it, but EF Core 2 now has it in the form of something called owned entities. Hmm. So I'm really happy about that because I had said that's the one, you know, like when I get that, then I I really have everything I need in Entity Framework to have EF Core be my default Entity Framework. Hmm. So when you compare Entity Framework Core 2 to the full framework version of Entity Framework, are they comparable now? Are they the same? Is is there is a smaller feature set, bigger... Well, the comparing them, we don't have full parity. Now, there's right. there's a set of things we'll never get, like the EDMX support. So those things will never come, but mm-hmm. there's still a, a large set of things. Uh, I think maybe a, a smaller set of people are still reliant on right. that they had in NEF6, like lazy loading, like some of, uh, wh- which one is it? Table per type or p- table per hierarchy that's not supported. It has to be type. And people had those models and designed things that way and they still want them and just some kinds of support like that. So those are, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's still on the docket, Mm. like that's still going to come. Right. And it just could, these things just couldn't be top priority because it's not always a matter of just, you know, taking the code from EF6 and popping it in because it's a whole new code base with a whole new set of services. And even the, all the whole mapping, the way the mapping works underneath is all very different because the way it was originally written had a lot to do with why the team was really limited from moving Entity Framework forward. So they mm. simplified things, which gets back to the question about why is the designer not supported anymore? Right. Mm-hmm. So the designer enabled you to create, you had a visual, but behind that was the XML. Yeah. And Entity Framework processes, the uh, figures out the model using two paths, either from the code first mm. or from the model. Once they've figured it out, then they're on the same path. Right. So the original way Entity Framework was written was for the EDMX. And in order to continue supporting the EDMX, like they couldn't do what they were doing and be able to support EDMX. A lot of the weird things about how code first has always worked were constrained because of what they needed to support with the EDMX. Interesting. And Julie, hold that thought for just a minute while we pause to hear from our sponsors. 
This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at JetBrains. Hey, how often do you profile memory usage in your .NET apps? What if you could automate memory usage checks so that they're executed every time you commit a change? You can actually do that with .MemoryUnit from JetBrains. .MemoryUnit is a free unit testing framework for monitoring .NET memory usage. You write unit tests that check your code for all kinds of memory issues, and then run the tests on your machine or in a continuous integration server like TeamCity or VSTS, just like you do with regular unit tests. You can track how much memory is allocated, check memory for objects of a specific type to prevent memory leaks, or compare several memory snapshots in a unit test to see if memory usage is creeping up. Learn more and download .memoryunit from jetbrains.netrocks.com or just search for a package called .memoryunit on the NuGet gallery. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud platform. What? Isn't this a .NET show? Yeah. .NET runs on the Google Cloud platform, man. Everything in .NET? You bet. All the .NET core libraries and more, including 200-plus Google.com and cloud services. Hey, John Skeet's behind it. He's a genius. The John Skeet? The Rescue the Princess John Skeet from Stack Overflow? <laughs> yeah, the one and only. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine, which is Google's hosted Kubernetes environment, and it runs like, well, Google. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. I'm reading it now. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. Yep. You can get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. Also, there are PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And if you need help, there are a great set of partners to get workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. .NET on Google. Who knew? And you're listening to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell talking to Julie Lerman about EF Core. So do you think then that there will ever be a new designer, maybe just with different constraints or lack of constraints, maybe JSON-based or something like that? I know that they are, you know, that's something in the back of their minds. I would have to go and check the roadmap again to, to see if it's on the list. But, I mean, it speaks to the idea that more people are doing code first. The problem is the people who are using the designer are really dependent on it. Mm. But it's actually, there's there's two pieces. One is, I guess, more almost more importantly, it's the people who have existing EDMX. Right. Right? Yeah. What do they do with that? Well, actually, LBL Gen Pro, Franz Buma's yeah. product, actually supports taking an EDMX and rendering... What LLBL code first gen? needs. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. Oh, he's had a designer for EDMX for a while. Yeah. And then cool. he supported code first, and so it worked. Now, his designer isn't visual in the way that the designer we're used to. It's not pictures. Yeah. But it's still kind of a, a graphical. I wrote a code generator that uses the EDMX. And, yeah. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's bas basically just templates that it uses all the stuff from the EDMX. And I think I use one of the, the text fields to put extra attributes in there that then turn things on and off in the code that I generate. But yeah. And DevArt has a product also that is very visual. Like you can really see, you know, see the entities visual yeah. in the same way that the visual designers. 
I think, however, what the team is trying to really focus on is creating something that'll be cross-platform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I can go into Visual Studio and use those tools yeah. or or whatever on Windows, but when I'm over in on my Mac using Visual Studio Code... Well, we need a web version. That's basically it. I mean, you can do all that kind of stuff. Right. And the web version, that, that turns into Electron, right? I right. actually started doing something like that, and I have the idea where I can move Windows around, and, and, I, and I actually have the code to draw lines and relationships between them cool. in a browser, and it's just yeah, using yeah. a standard. Totally doable, yeah. And then there's a couple other pieces, though. So this, I'll put this in your issues on GitHub, so yeah, you know, cool. I'll give you a little roadmap. All right, excellent. Um, because <laughs> the EDMX had all of the mappings built into it, whereas right. with the code first, there's conventions that presume mappings. Yeah. And when I say mappings, it's, okay, this property will map to a column. The, uh, the convention is that the column name in the database will be the same. Right. Right. The, those are conventions. So yeah. there's a lot of mapping conventions, but there's a whole way with code first. We've got attributes mm. or the Fluent API where you can really, yeah. really can go to town C with C-sharp is quite expressive, that. I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> so taking something from the designer yeah. and implementing all that gets a little trickier. However... Yes. They know how to do it because you can reverse engineer, even without a designer, right. you can reverse engineer from a database into a code first model with Fluent API. Yeah. And then, and then you can modify it. The big difference there is that you can't go, oh, I'll make changes in the database. Right. It's code first. Yeah. Right. It's, it's funny because it's not code first originally, but it's the, the being able to reverse engineer with EF core. There's a mechanism, and it's called scaffolding. Yeah. But there's also third-party tools for doing that. Sure. So that works out the domain classes and the mappings, mm. right? So if they can do that and then kind of translate that into something visual, mm -hmm. or you, if you can. Or somebody, not yeah, just somebody. I, mean, I know I I'm just up. used to, yeah. Yeah, I gave up on that. I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> why, why is Philip writing his own ORM to yeah. go with access? Like, I mean, it's fun for an this? afternoon, you know, yeah. and you think, oh, I'm going to nail this, knock it out. And you're like, oh, man, well, this is just a lot more work than I thought. Everybody should build an ORM at some point. Just don't use it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's, right. it's sort of that experience of exploring <laughs> the problem enough to understand, hey, Absolutely. maintaining this is hard. There's right. a reason why Franz has made that product for decades right because it's hard it's hard, yeah, it to, hard. to be complete yep. yeah but i'm I totally appreciate the the sort of problem here one of the things i'm looking at especially with core 2 coming out is how much lift and shift are we now able to do can we actually take something that was on the full framework and start to build it into core and what's going to move across and certainly any framework plays a role in that yeah there are clearly certain classes of ef work that aren't going to move very easily mm -hmm. yeah it is not it's a migration. It's not an upgrade. Right, it's a migration right. that you explicitly have to do. And it's I'm, definitely one way. And, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're going to make changes. And there are things you need to understand. So a lot of the base <laughs> things in any framework that we're used to, the DB context, the DB set, and change tracking and all of that, mm -hmm. they, they work the same. Right. Right. But there are some things that behave differently. Hmm. And even I have to keep reminding myself, unless, you know, somebody from the EF team has to remind me when I go, why is this like this? Why am I having this problem? You're in core. It is <laughs> that EF core is not EF6. Right. Yeah. And you can't, you know, it's like there's this balance between, yes, there's a lot of things that are the same, but don't assume it. My workshop tomorrow afternoon, 
because I couldn't come up with a clever title, I just titled it What It Is, which is what developers using Entity Framework 6 should know about EF Core. Right. And it's just those kinds of things. Yeah. Like, here's what's the same, and you could just go on your easy path. Here are things you need to watch out for because the behavior is different. Yeah. And, you know, right, don't make assumptions about the behavior. Right. And then here's some awesome new things. Cool. Before we jump into cool new features, what are things that people are really going to miss? Well... You know, there's the things that they're going to miss always, like like the EDMX, EDMX yeah. but there's also things they're going to miss temporarily. But the answer to that is, if NA Framework Core isn't what you need, mm -hmm. stay with EF6 right. yeah. and check in with EF Core, check in with the roadmap and check in with upcoming option. releases as we go along. There's yeah, to, to see if it gets to where you want. Sure. Well, you know, there's it's really also... Of, do you need to switch to core at all? Right. I mean, would you use EF core with conventional framework? You actually could only do that really if you made like a, had a web API or something right. like that yeah. and put it, kind of encapsulated it in that. So, you know, the question is, if you have it, something that's existing, mm -hmm. do you need to upgrade it? No, don't don't try to do an upgrade just for the sake of doing an upgrade. Sure. Mm -hmm. In the past, for example, from EF 4.1 to EF 5, there wasn't a lot of new features, but there was some an underlying really important thing, which was performance was a lot better. Right. And we said, mm -hmm. just upgrade. You, you will get the performance for free yeah. just by upgrading and nothing else is changing. Mm -hmm. Like I think a name, one namespace changed or right. something so like a that. A, a copy yeah, paste. Yeah, that fix. was totally worth it. Uh, but otherwise, maybe you're like, oh my gosh, this feature, I wish we had this feature, I want to upgrade. Don't do that unless you think you're going to be interacting with that code a lot. Mm -hmm. And in that case, encapsulate that piece of code that you want to change. Pull, Take that logic, put it into its own... Yeah. library yeah. and change that library, right? Change that library. And really, I wouldn't do that unless you're interacting with it all the right. time. Mm. Oh, I wish I had it two years ago. Oh, well, the, it's working. Leave it alone. Yeah, EF6 yeah, right. is going to be around and they're still making improvements and changes to EF6, just not as rapidly. Well, mm. but, you know, then I think about people who are migrating their websites to core, Right now, you can encapsulate that in an assembly, but you wouldn't be able to call an EF six assembly from uh, from .NET Core. That's, so, so that's you're, what you're saying true. is that's you not can't, true. If you're running a, a new website in .NET Core two and it's running on Linux and you uh, have a .NET okay. Core, no, not uh, on Linux. A, yeah, you have a .NET assembly. No, no. So yeah, that's one of run. the. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was I was thinking about Windows .NET. Framework 6 is not cross-platform. No. Again, yeah. though, you could do the backwards of what I just said before. Mm, sure. You could put your EF6 stuff in an API right. and, and call into that. Call into a Windows machine that was right. hosting sure. yeah. from your Linux machine. On Windows, interestingly, you can have an assembly that is based on uh, using a Entity Framework 6, mm. and you can interact with that from ASP.NET yeah. Core. Yeah, okay. that's right. Right. But yeah, so, you know, this concept of encapsulating things really yeah. can solve a lot of problems. Yeah, sure can. But the question I was, was asking was, because I know you can, I just don't know why you would, is using full framework calling to, uh, to EF core. Like, why would you use EF core against the full framework? Mm. If, and again, with that, with that caveat, the only way you could really do that is say like a, a web API or yes. something like that. If there are features of Entity Framework Core 
that are very want. compelling mm-hmm. that will benefit you. I, mean, I still think of EF core as a subset of EF, and I'm clearly wrong. It's a large subset now. Okay. It's it's is it literally gone into new areas that that the old version doesn't have anymore. But it also has a lot of the things that we had before. We keep we keep gaining each time. Sure. Like for example, like that complex type support. Is it two different teams? No, it's the same team. Interesting. So they literally just switching between the versions? Like- yeah, but they fo- really focused on EF Core and getting that out. Mm-hmm. After EF Core 1.0 came out, they went back and did some work to and brought us EF 6.1.3. Right. EF Core 2 came out. Now they're going back and doing some more stuff. There was too. a 1.1, if I recall. Wasn't there a 1.1? Yes, yeah. there was. There was a 1.1. Yeah. Yeah. So they've they went they've gone back and forth okay. a little That's bit. That's gotta be tough on that. Team. And it's not but the stuff they're doing in EF six isn't huge. Right. Right. But so they're they still like taking it, pull requests yeah. and it's you know, mature. tweaking. Yeah. It is. Battle tested is what Rowan Miller called <laughs> I like it. That. I love that. That's I've good. I've got that on yeah. slides with his quote. Yeah. Yeah. Battle tested for sure. So you know, besides maybe the obvious of making query performance better and performance and things like that all mm-hmm. around. You know, there's a, oh my gosh, the in-memory provider. I hope I, I may have just talked about this last time we talked about EF Core. For testing an an in-memory provider, instead of doing all the work, like using a mocking framework and doing all that work that you have to do to set up a mock. Right. And especially for doing data access, you've got to create some data in memory and lists and all that kind of stuff. It does that for you automatically. By using the memory provider. Yeah. Yeah. It That is amazing. That's awesome. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to call an assembly in VBNet 3.0 that calls a web API in C Sharp Azure running .NET 4 that calls a .NET Core 2 service in a Docker container in AOS that sends a fax to a teenager in Belarus who promises to get back to you right after he comes home from school and has a snack. <laughs> that was very odd. That, well, it's encapsulation. I guess it? that is encapsulation. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their Dev Extreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free by getting it from GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Julian Hager. Congratulations, Julian. Congratulations, Julian. You just won the D-Experience subscription from DevExpress, a big pile of awesome from them, just for being a member of the fan club. And if you don't know how to do that, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December... We give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. 
And Julie's looking painfully up to the sky to try to remember what she was going to buy this with $5,000 this time. <laughs> this is the side effect of doing 14 shows, Jules. It turns out you don't need you enough could, stuff. You could make something up like, you know, I want an automatic dog shaver, something like that. <laughs> For giant puppy. <laughs> well, we've already got enough yak shavers. <laughs> Yes, but you don't have the Yak Belly Shaver 2000. Yeah. Actually, whatever technology they're going to use to uh, break up that thing. The, or the giant fat blob. Yeah. yeah. High, high pressure would, hot water and vacuums. I would like one of those for my butt. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. You can't say that. This is a family show. Oh, oh man. my goodness. Welcome to three old people try to talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, How's your giant get... puppy anyway? He's home and I'm here. Uh, he's great. He, you know, he's nine and a half. Wow. And That's he's old. still full of it. That's mm. great. Which is really super. Yeah. Your dog he's weighs so about cute. nine and a half kilos. Yeah, it's <laughs> about, he's losing. He's getting old now. He's 12, right? Yeah, yeah. Starting to lose a little weight. It looks like his hearing's gone. Oh. So all of a sudden, he, mm. he, all of a sudden, we're surprising him and I can't have him off leash anymore. Yeah, oh, yeah, get a big. I can't yeah. call him back. Well, S- Samson, it's always been like that. <laughs> I've got a theory that when the, there's this flap inside his head, these flaps that when the nose is active, the flaps flip up and cover up the access to the ear channel. So he's not distracted. So he can't hear anything right. when he's busy sniffing something. Mm. There you go. Can't hear a thing. Mm. Yeah. So let me tell you if if you would like me too some of these core like so why ef core yes question so you want to go Mm cross-platform you want to deploy cross-platform you want to host on a linux server Mm -hmm. you gotta go yeah you you know that's absolutely you use ef core right what about windows like so a lot of people Mm -hmm. especially coming from ef6 like a lot of those people have never gone oh darn i wish i could do cross-platform right right? they're like building windows apps so, Windows 10 UWP, mm-hmm. EF Core. Really? Yeah. Mm. Why? EF6 isn't supported. Can't oh. EF6 depends on .NET framework, period. Right. Mm. Dot, full .NET framework, not a sub oh, I see. piece of it. Mm. EF Core, actually, EF Core 2, they, they made a change. EF Core 2 depends on .NET Standard 2.0. Okay. Period. Yeah, sure. So, anything that supports .NET Standard 2... Mm-hmm. Will support EF Core. The new, the upcoming version of UWP, the Windows 10 Universal mm. Windows Platform, is on .NET Standard 2. Right. Wow, great. So uh, they actually just put a preview of that with a tooling with an update in Visual Studio 2017. Hmm. So there, if you're doing that, you'll need to you use to. EF Core mm, yeah. 2, un- unless. You go that API route. Yeah, right. Right? Because you've always you've always got that possibility of, of sure. the API. Those are some scenarios where it's not even a question. Yeah. Right? That's that's you what you've to got go to do. There. Yeah, because four six one is standard two compliant. Right. But EF six is not? Like why couldn't I just use EF six in that context? If I'm willing to use four six one you can use EF Core or EF6 on right. .NET 4.6.1. Yes. If you're using something that is aimed at one of these other platforms, anything besides .NET 4.6.1, then then you'll want to use EF Core. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And EF6 is going to be around for a while. Don't yeah. don't hold me to sure. how long. And then coding with it, there's a lot of, for I think for more advanced scenarios, because of the way they rebuilt it, mm. and they really made it more of a modern modern kind of a platform to mm-hmm. work on. You know, there are things like it's not one big DLL, right? right? So if you are pushing it out to a phone, mm-hmm. Or, or a device, it, it only has, it has like its core package and then, hey, you're, if you're using a relational database, then you'll get that and then you'll get the relational package, mm-hmm. right? If you're doing development on your machine, you'll want the tooling for, for doing migrations, but you don't need to push those out, mm-hmm. right? Right. You know, things like that. So things there, it's broken up more, um, for that efficiency. And ASP.NET Core actually has been benefiting from that, yeah. you know, with the, the speed, like yeah. the amazing Perf. speed on servers yeah. and being able to deploy it on Docker and just like this, yeah. right? So, so Entity Framework Core went along with that. That was kind of part of their, they had those aligned goals to, mm-hmm. to be able to work together. And then there's, there's, just little things. A lot of the kinds of things people are always like, oh, can we have this? Can we have that? And it was always too hard to implement, like mm. being able to have unique constraints, unique foreign keys. Hmm. They, you know, they've got that now. Mm. SQLite. Yeah. yeah. I was going right? to ask you about that. SQLite everywhere. Mm. Right? You can use that everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had, we've always had Postgres. Yes. Yep. Right? But SQLite that can go on onto devices. Mm-hmm. And then for me, like I, I follow a lot of domain-driven design patterns. Right. So there's, you know, little things like I can map to backing fields now. I can totally encapsulate collections. I couldn't do that before. I mean, I could do it in my code, but Entity mm. Framework didn't understand how to work with that. Right. Entity oh, Framework right. yeah. can find backing fields now. So you can, you can, again, you know, I'm all about the encapsulation, Define right? Define a backing field for us. So if you have a property that is, you want to completely protect and control how people interact with that property, instead of exposing the property, Right, you can oh, make it private and then have maybe another method that you call to interact with that property, okay. like a different, you know, to do some special logic with it. So something you're interacting directly, you have control over. Right, what and gets I'm all property. about control. I coined a new design concept. I think it was at Oradev a bunch of years ago. We mm-hmm. talked there also. We did, and I called it ADDDD. <laughs> <laughs> right, because I'm such a control freak. I had to do a little research because it was Sweden to make sure they'd understand the joke. <laughs> now, my my wife has CDO. That's that's a, o, a OCD, but it's in alphabetical order. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. So I can create my classes with all those constraints and protections in them, but Entity Framework couldn't figure out what was going on there. Right. So now Entity Framework has the ability to figure those things out, and this to is do the mapping. This is not what's in... EF core. Yeah, EF not core. EF yeah. So. so that, yeah. A lot of people have always begged for batch updates, mm-hmm. right? That's, mm-hmm. that's supported now. A lot of the IOS, uh, interversion of control and dependency injection that's built into ASP.NET Core, mm-hmm. Entity Framework goes along goes for that ride. That. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's so many things. Yeah. Many, many, many and things. Cool. things. The database provider side is really interesting to me, especially if you start thinking about r- working with core and EF core yeah. on Linux. And then you want to call to some more traditional Linux database, a DB2 or an Oracle 
you know, one of those Postgres. instances. Like or that, SQL Server for Linux. Yeah, now SQL Server for <laughs> Linux. But I've, Traditional. It's just interesting that, that we're at that place now, or that, that, that you could be getting to those traditional databases that were tougher to get to. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, but you can have them in the same place. Yeah. It doesn't have to be host API in one place and then call to a server somewhere call to some else. some other server Right, you can actually have them. Yeah. Well, I guess... Sometimes you don't want to have them on the same box anyway. <laughs> with DevOps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's DevOps. Have, it's not me. Have we exhausted the list of things that aren't there that people may expect? Yeah. Here is the list I made of the biggest feature cuts. Okay. okay. So cuts, that's very different than not there yet, but is right. on the roadmap. Is not coming. So the EDMX, of we course. We talked about that, yeah. Ob the object context API is gone. Now, originally, hmm. Entity Framework, the object context was how you, how you would do all the interaction with the database. You would define an object context yeah. to define the DB sets, um, instantiate the object context in order to do queries and updates and things like that. Then in order to implement all the things they wanted to do with code first, they created the DB context that sat on top of the object context. Now we had two. Right. Right. And every once in a while, you'd need something fancy from the object context, really, you know, really something down closer to the metal and mm. you could, you could interact with that. Anyway, so the, ob the whole object context API is gone and the new DB context kind of has the, has the, those things, in has it. most of the, those things that you want to do. Okay. Entity SQL. Have you ever heard of Entity SQL? Do you remember that? Uh, eSQL? I think, I think so. It was I've the original it. Ex way to express queries. Oh. With Entity Framework yeah, before yeah. Link existed. And Link came about right at the same time EF was coming mm. about. So they had created a T-SQL-like language for, right. for writing the queries. And they looked at Link and they're oh. like, whoa, this is much better. Yeah, so Entity SQL, nobody's, Entity SQL depends on the object context API. I think oh, I'm okay. one of the three people in the world who ever knew how to use it, but I haven't in years. Well, I remember mm -hmm. Link to SQL. Yep. Before the entity framework, and then they were like, uh, yeah, don't use that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. After quite a bit of well, there was much discussion. Hemming and hawing. There was much consternation, right? Yes. That's a good way there to was. It. Yes. Well, I, yeah, I, th I think some people, there's some people who still are a little bit dislike me a little bit because, because I, I was so tightly associated with entity framework. Hmm. Oh, well, sorry. Oh, well. So, if you interacted directly with the metadata to do maybe for tooling or something like that, mm -hmm. that API has changed dramatically. They, they actually replaced it because they replaced how metadata works and how all the mappings work. They mm. completely rewrote that from mm. scratch to make it possible to do other interesting things. So that's gone. For better or worse. Okay, so here's another one. Have you ever heard of MEST? No. M-E-S-T? Okay. M-E-S-T. Mm-hmm. Multiple entities for a single type. Interesting. That mapping is gone because I don't think anybody used it. And it was one of those really complex things that the metadata was so complicated. Was to tolerate was to, this exactly. piece of complexity that people didn't use. It right. almost sounds like multiple inheritance. And then another thing, it's notable that it's gone, but it never should have existed anyway, <laughs> is automatic migrations. Not migrations. Migrations are still there. But there was a way of making it all work magically, and you know what happens when sure. you add magic in. And in order to support that magic, it made the rest of migrations really hard, and yeah. you would really run into walls all the time. So they removed that, 
They originally, when they originally brought out migrations, automatic was on by default. And then we all screamed. And then they turned it off by default. And then they were like, you probably really shouldn't use that. And then they just finally removed it. Right. And, okay. and doing that really eased up the things you can do with migrations and simplified it. And one of the benefits is now with migrations, it caches the current state of the model in your files, right? In your project, not in a database somewhere on somebody's right. machine. Somewhere else, yeah. And that enables source control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was always a nightmare, source sure. control for EF6 so migrations. So far, it sounds like a good story. I mean, it sounds I know, I like hope most I'm of not the good stuff is there. I hope I'm not painting it. <laughs> yeah. what I think it's awesome. What hasn't made it in yet, you think? Like stuff that you know is going to come forward but isn't forward in two. The things that people are complaining about the most. They're missing the most. There's a list. There's a long list. And I would recommend keeping an eye on the Entity Framework Core Roadmap. I made a bit.ly for it, which is just EF Core Roadmap. Okay. okay. And it shows what they're working on for the next release, what came in to the current releases, and what their backlog is. Okay? Okay. And... Here's what they say about the backlog, and they've got it in two sections. One is critical ORM features, and they say, these are things we think we need before we can say EF Core is the recommended version for everyone. Okay. Okay, but emphasis on everyone, that's right? Where, and that's clearly where they want to get to. Right. Yep. So, group by translation. Apparently, that's mm. a heavily complained about thing. Lazy loading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Not somebody somebody was you saw the comments from the last show. I won't yeah. I won't diss lazy loading again. <laughs> I think by now everybody knows how I feel about it. Again, not because it's a bad idea, but it's just too easy to go wrong with it. And yeah. right. but on the other hand, it's your foot. It's n- not my foot, but it is a good part of my income, solving those problems. <laughs> uh, it's good business yes, for it's me. Very We're having, a, having some performance problem. Oh, okay. Let me see if I can help you uh, with that. Calljulie.com. <laughs> <laughs> so they are hoping to have a Visual Studio wizard for reverse engineering. Now, that's not mm-hmm. a visualizer. That's, I mean, that's not the designer. designer. But right now, the only way you can do reverse engineering with their tools is to use the scaffold command and migration. So reverse engineering means taking an existing database yes, and turning it into POCOs. And mappings. And, and, mappings. and the mappings. Yep. Update model from database. So right now, the only, mm. only thing you can do is do migrations, yeah. but a lot of people are used to being able to, you know, they want to go into the database and make a change mm-hmm. and then have that ref- come back right. into the model. Right. Stored procedure mapping. We can use stored procedures, but in earlier versions of Entity Framework, we could actually map them. In other mm. words, say, see this customer class here? Whenever you see an insert on that class, don't go and figure out the SQL for it. Instead, use my stored mm. procedure, and, and here are the and here's map what these to pass. Parameters, exactly. and this is the outbound mm-hmm. stuff. Many to many relationships. People oh. like that magic of being able to define a many to many relationship and have Entity Framework work it out. That's not in yet. One reason it's I think it's really hard to, for them. It, it's a, not easy to implement. No, yeah. And it implementing it's going to rely on some other things they want to pull in. But you can 
Well, and it also requires a pivot table or something like that too, right? Or a table with two forms in the database. In the database, right? But Entity Framework, the idea is with in Entity Framework you wouldn't need that, and then you can just make those references directly. Yeah, just make them directly. So, so right now the way to do it is you have to create your own join entity, and you have to be more explicit. So there is a way around it. Spatial data is not there. Visualizing a data model. I'm the one who I'm the most probably vocal person about. I cannot easily work it that is actually a really big problem for me easily work with ef core because i can't see what entity framework thinks i'm designing mm-hmm. however eric eilskov jensen i don't know if you know him he is you should no. <laughs> you should know who he is yeah. he is an mvp he's the guy who wrote the um, sql ce sql Lite extension for visual studio which has i think three quarters of a million downloads wow Wow, it's amazing. He is also the guy who's written all of the SQL CE providers for Entity Framework and now for EF Core. Wow, great! His stuff. So he's so he's very expert in you know the database and the schema and all that underlying stuff. He's also really good at extensions. Mm. So. He took the Entity Framework Core Power Tools, which had not been updated for 2015 or VS 2017, and he it was on GitHub finally. So he forked the repository and he created an Entity Framework Core 6 community version. Hmm, cool. And now what he did, he said, I'm going to start working on some Entity Framework Core Power Tools. What do you want? I said, Visualizer, I can't work. I, I, I almost can't work without the Visualizer. Right, right. And, and. So the visualizer with EF6, it takes your code first model that you've defined in code and it translates it into what that would look like if you were using the entity framework designer. So it opens it up and you can visually see that it made, you know, a one-to-one relationship or a zero or one-to-one when you Mm. meant to have one-to-one. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought this is what I was saying, but this is how EF right. is. But being able to actually see it under the hood. So, you so know he's he's actually started working on something. It's not going to look that way. He's using the DGML, you know, that in Visual Studio, how you can visualize the classes. Yep. He's, he's pushing it into there. Hmm. But it's not the same as just visualizing the classes because it's going to comprehend how Entity Framework sees all the relationships. Right. Mm. So he's creating that That's for cool. Visual Studio. Way to go. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. It's clever stuff. It's, well, it's interesting being fully open source, although it's been open source for quite a while now, just to see that you're seeing non-Microsoft people sort of stand up and, and it's build some MVPs. It's amazing yeah. what he's, he's, yeah, and he, he's not making any money doing it at all. Yeah. Three quarters of a million. And, and, and that extension works in SQL Server Management Studio. Wow. So you can open up SQLite and SQL CE. He, he should set up a Patreon or something like, yeah, let's right. all give him a buck. Yeah, like no kidding. Three quarters of a million dollars yeah. for Eric. I'm all for it. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. You know, he gets an MVP award and a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just interesting. You know, we talk about sustainability and open source, and it's like mm. folks that can make. It's not that easy to make extensions to Visual Studio. Like he's working hard, yeah, right? solving an important so problem smart. and working in that environment. Yeah, like yeah. I just and I don't that he even thinks that way. You know, I've never met him. It's the first time you've mentioned him. Uh, to me, at least, I'm, I mean, we should probably do a show. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that, it's just like. And then you know, Shay Rajansky, he's the guy who does the Postgres provider, provider EF, EF, and NEF Core. I subscribe to the feed for that repository. There's 
It is constant every day. There's like 10 yeah. and, you know, questions and him with answers and he's constantly working on it. And at the same time, he takes months out of his life and goes and works for Doctors Without Borders somewhere in the wow. world. Wow. He's amazing. Wow. So when I've had people come to me, like say, oh, can you do this kind of consulting or do some work for us, building a provider or something. First of all, I'm like, there are five people in the world who know how to write EF core providers. So I have them on my mailing list. Yeah. Well, I've definitely sent some work, work his way, but you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. And people are like, Oh, Julie, where's your pull request and everything. I'm so busy trying (laughs) to interpret and write articles and and all that. I did, I did do a PR on the EF core docs though. Oh, good. I'm cool. still waiting for somebody to n- notice it's there. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what's next for you? What's on your uh, What's on your list? Oh my gosh! Well, I'm in just beginning two weeks of travel and conferences. Yeah, heading to Utah for the Plural Site Live, yeah. and then Denver for Explore DDD, which is a domain-driven design. Then mm-hmm. I'm going to, I might see you at uh, Angular Mix a couple Angular weeks after Mix, that yes. in Orlando. And then I will see you in Las Vegas for Dev Intersection. That and too. then I'll yeah. be home for three days. And then I'm going to Columbia for NetConf, um, mm-hmm. which is the same people who organize NetConf in Uruguay. Oh, cool. Great. And I'm also hoping to go see our buddy Oscar Colon in Guatemala wow. and meet his team after that. Oh, that'll be so fun. that's just this year. Yeah. Oh my God. I I mean it's September already and I still have seven conferences to go. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. and you know, I'm not on anybody's payroll. Right, right. Right. Oh my gosh. So that means I've oh, so that means like the other what I'm gonna do in between all those conferences is put together a new EF Core two getting started course. Great. Nice. Yeah. Great. Yeah, we're gonna need it. Julie, oh, thanks yeah. very much. It's it's always great to hear, you know, from an expert such as yourself what's what's going on with uh, EF. Yeah, thanks. Oh, awesome talking to you guys. Always a pleasure. Yeah. In person, no less. Right. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a